0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the signs and speeches of Jesus and the spite that surrounded them. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say hi to a couple of people. I know that sounds a bit strange, but as we move into the new year, I think it is the perfect time to greet a few of our listeners specifically. I've mentioned before that I think it is really awesome that my sermons get listened to around the world, We are not a big church, and it just amazes me how many countries my preaching reaches through this podcast. That said, it seems that most of the time my sermons get listened to outside of the United States are one-offs. People find one of them through a search or whatever, and they listen. However, we've noticed that there are a few places where people are listening to our sermons almost every week, and I want to acknowledge those people. So to you who are listening in Madrid, Paris, Dublin, Brussels, and Frankfurt, hi. I appreciate you listening. I've prayed for you. And honestly, I think it would be really cool to connect with you. If you ever want to say hi back, send me an email at chad at creekside.me or send me a message on Instagram. My username is chad a harms. And in the meantime, know that it's a huge blessing for me and for our church to know that you are listening to everyone else. Happy new year. I hope 2022 will be an amazing year for you. A year where you see the movement of God in your life in a mighty way. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God.
1: There's this thing that kind of drives me nuts and you should, if you've been around, you can tell it drives me nuts because I'm talking about it in every sermon as we work our way through John and it's it's that people just ignore Jesus. Like like he's just ignored by people. His name is like either a curse word. Or people don't think about Jesus at all. And the reason that that uh, annoys me is because, because I think that Jesus is at least one answer. Uh, and I think he's the key answer to so many of the things that, that, that we see in the world today. That, that are struggles in the world today. Hopelessness and violence and drug use and, uh, and, and even death. I think that they find a solution in Jesus, that Jesus can be the solution to those things and a lot of other things, and and yet people just ignore him altogether, and I I think that what bothers me is not necessarily when people just reject Jesus or hate Jesus or, or, um, you know, have thought about Jesus and decided not to follow him. It's because okay, I can deal with that. But when people just ignore Jesus, never look into his claims, pretend that he doesn't exist, that bothers me because, because there's a chance that he can be the answer to the struggle that, that they're having in their life and, and they haven't even thought about him. And, and I think there's a reason for this. I don't think it's the, the person's fault so much as it is As it is our fault, and when I say our in this situation, I mean like pastors primarily. I think that Jesus has been so watered down. He's been so muted in our American Christian culture that it is easy to ignore Him. But when you study your way through Scripture, specifically the book of John, it's really hard to just ignore the claims of Jesus. You either need to embrace Jesus for what He claims to be, Or you need to kind of maybe hate Jesus, or at least dislike Jesus, at least be bothered or annoyed or angry by Jesus, because he makes these incredible claims that I just don't think should be ignored. But when we constantly are presenting a Jesus without these claims, uh, then, then it's really easy just to move past him and never really think about whether or not they're true or not. This next series, the series we're beginning today in the book of John, Signs, Speeches, and Spite, Uh, it's, that title really indicates what we're going to see. There are these stories in this next large section of the book of John where, where we see Jesus do these incredible signs, or he gives these incredible speeches, and they produce in people just a ridiculous amount of spite, like they hate Jesus because of what he does, or because of what he says, and I think that as we, as we look at these stories, there is really important things to learn in the signs, and there's really important things to learn in his speeches, but I think equal to that, there are some amazingly important things to learn from the spite, like what is it about what Jesus does and says that makes people so angry that they want to kill him? Now we've been moving pretty slowly through the Book of John. We've uh, just covered four chapters in about three months, and uh, we're going to finish the Book of John in June. So you may be able to guess, just mathematically speaking, that we're we're going to start moving much quicker. and And as we move into this series, you're really going to see us move through the book pretty quickly, which means I'm not going to read all of the story to you or all of the chapter. We're going to cover a whole chapter today, and I don't think any of you want me to stand up here and read the entirety of the chapter. And so I would encourage you, if you're thinking about, we've talked about New Year's goals and resolutions, ways that maybe you want to do things differently in the coming year. One of the things I would recommend is is reading through the book of John, and and reading the stories that we're going to cover, or we have covered, especially because, I hope that you can believe me when I tell you it's there, but maybe you want to go wait, is what Chad said actually true, because he didn't read the whole thing to me, and so I would include, I would encourage you to to read along as we move faster through the book of John. In my sermons, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to I'm going to kind of tell you the story, I hope, and then I'll read you some of the things that I think uh, really point to the main points of of the stories as a whole. In all of it, the question that is going to permeate everything in this series is, what was it about Jesus' words and works, his signs and speeches that made the religious leaders primarily so angry, so, so, so angry? Angry, And these reasons are reasons that I hope that you won't ignore That we should not ignore That we shouldn't let others ignore We should tell people, hey, Jesus made this claim So here's, here's what's happening in this story Jesus comes to Jerusalem for a festival It's debated what festival uh, he has come to Jerusalem to celebrate Some people believe it is Pentecost Uh, but that is up for debate. And he comes to this uh, sheep gate pool, which you can read a little bit about in Nehemiah chapter three, specifically verse one. But it's this pool where at the time of Jesus, disabled people are sitting and and they're trying to get into it because there's this myth that once the angels stir the waters, then if you get in there first, then you can be healed. And this guy has been an invalid for 38 years. He's had uh, some type of handicapped for 38 years, and Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to get well? And the guy says, hey, there's nobody to help me get in the pool. It's such a short-sighted thought, right? Like you're looking in the face of Jesus, and he asks if you want to get well, and you're like, well, there's nobody to pick me up and put me in the pool, and that's where we pick up this story in John 5, 8 through 15. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. I love this story. There's so much about it that I like. I I like just this guy's innocence. Like he doesn't even know who healed him. and, And when he finds out, he like tells on Jesus almost, but it doesn't seem like he knows he's telling on Jesus. He just, it's like, hey, those guys asked who it was. They don't, they don't understand the context and the the rising level of hatred towards Jesus. And so he just goes back and, and he tells them, I, I think it's interesting that the, the, the religious leaders are so harsh here. Like, like they don't even notice or care about the fact that this guy has been healed. They only want to know who healed him because it happened on the Sabbath. I find it really interesting that Jesus, says see you are well stop sinning or something worse may happen to you and uh and and that man that just points to, to this idea that apparently this man's sin was uh, had caused him to be handicapped in whatever way he was handicapped. Now, when you hear that, you go, "Well, that's terrible. Like, am I supposed to look at people in wheelchairs and connect that to some sin they have committed?" And and I would say, absolutely not. But but there maybe is a place theologically for for our sin leading to to physical ailments. And I would point out that sometimes we have natural consequences to our sins, right? Like if you go drink and drive, then you may end up in a wheelchair because you've chosen to commit that sin, right? So we don't, we can't make a whole theology here and say every time somebody has an injury or a handicap, it's because of sin in their lives. In fact, Jesus says elsewhere that that's absolutely not the case. But sometimes we may may cause ourselves problems because of our sin. And so all of that's really interesting, but none of it is at the heart of this story. What happens next is is really the center of what this is all about. The reason that John records this for us in this gospel. John 5, 16 through 18 says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So where does the spite come from? If you're paying attention, you see two reasons right there. Reason number one, he was... He healed this guy on the Sabbath. He was healing on the Sabbath. For Jewish people, especially the religious leaders, the Sabbath was a, a big deal. Uh, you needed to be obedient to Sabbath laws. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they made laws on top of laws in order to make sure that they did not work on the Sabbath. I think a big part of that was identity. I, I think that as you look at like the Ten Commandments, like so much of that was was things that we all would have come up with on our own right like not lying and not murdering but then like god gives them this this day and it's it's a gift to them and they rest on the sabbath they rest on the seventh day and and so to break that is to is to to ruin a gift that god has given them and to go against what is so central to their identity in the law but it is a very big deal that you don't do anything on the Sabbath. And it's really fascinating that so much of, of the conflict with Jesus as you read through the Gospels is centered around Him healing, doing miracles on the Sabbath day. This drives them absolutely nuts. And I read this thing, and and I think I could debate whether or not it's true, but it's it's a really interesting idea. And And, and what it says is that often... Jesus' response to what to the criticism that comes to him about healing on the Sabbath, his responses are actually in line with kind of the central ideas of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think that's pretty clear in Matthew specifically. Listen to Matthew 12, 2, and 3. When the Pharisees saw this, him healing on the Sabbath, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing or picking grain on the Sabbath. Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered them. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And so much of Matthew is just centered around proving to people that Jesus is the Messiah, the king who has come in the line of David. And Jesus' response to this criticism about his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath is, hey, David did it. And here in John, we know that one of the points of John's writing this document is to say that Jesus is the Son of God. And when Jesus responds to the criticism about the Sabbath, he points to himself being the Son of God. But before we get to that, because that's going to become more clear as as we move through this, I want to just point out that part of the spite, a big part of the spite is that Jesus is not giving in to their cultural norms. Now, we know that Jesus did not break the law of God. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so Jesus isn't breaking the law, but he sure is ignoring their cultural norms. I think one of the reasons that people so readily ignore Jesus today is that we have a tendency in the American church to try to make Jesus fit into our cultural norms. We don't like to talk about the the things he says and the things that he did that that don't align with what is kind of culturally acceptable that won't get you canceled that that everybody kind of accepts. And so we we neuter Jesus and say, "Oh, he's just pretty much like, you know, everything we say anyway. And so people come along and and just like, well, that's cool. Jesus seems like a nice guy. But when you read through the Gospels, right, like Jesus has standards and talks about truth and teaches things that are so contrary to our culture that if people really paid attention to his life, his works, his words, they would be bothered by, by so many things. I think about one, just one that comes to my mind, and there's a lot, but one that comes to my mind that just has seemed to fallen out of favor in the modern American culture is is where Jesus talks about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Think about the the country that you live in here now. It seems that the messaging is is that you don't love your enemies. you, you don't pray for those who persecute you. You fight fire with fire. You just fight back. You 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 raise up to their level of persecution and you give it right back to them in order to win, in order that your side will be heard, because your side is right. And if you love the other person, then maybe you're not supporting, you know, whatever your opinion is in the correct way. And Jesus <laughs> says something so different: love those who persecute you. Love love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus does not fit into American society or any society. Society will always butt up against what Jesus stood for when he lived on earth. And I would just say to anybody here online that has ignored Jesus, read his Life story and see how countercultural he was at the time and even now. And you will either be annoyed by Jesus, frustrated by Jesus, angry with Jesus, hate Jesus, or or you will recognize that his way is so much better. It is good, and you'll consider at least becoming his follower. The other thing he says is, and and or the other reason that they're they're upset here, the other reason for the spite, is. That Jesus makes himself equal to God. I don't know that there's anything harder to ignore than that, right? Like a claim to be equal with God is a really big deal. One where, where you declare, like I've said before in the words of C.S. Lewis, that somebody is Lord, lunatic, or liar. Either they're right, uh, they're the biggest liar in the world, or they're Crazy. It's just really hard to ignore uh, a statement identifying yourself with God or uh, somebody else's statement identifying themselves with God. And that's exactly what Jesus does here, and it, it infuriates these people. Jesus says, hey, God's always at work, and so am I. Arthur Pink says, while it is true that God rested on that first seventh day from all his creative work, he has never rested from his governmental work, his providential work, supplying the needs of his creatures. The sun rises and sets, the tides ebb and flow, the rain falls, the wind blows, the grass grows on the weekly rest day as well as on any other. That's Jesus' point. He's like, the weather still does its thing on the Sabbath. Sabbath. You still have breath in your lungs on the Sabbath. God doesn't cease from his work to sustain what is happening on earth on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, I am constantly at work too. He's not only breaking, you know, their Sabbath rules, their cultural norms, but he is identifying himself and and saying that he is equal with God. And what follows this, if you're like, well, maybe they misunderstood him, What follows this is really a really long exhortation by Jesus. He basically is like, hey, you want proof of my equality with God? Here is proof that I am the son of God. Now, I'm going to let you read that on your own. But Arthur Pink, I think, he does a great job of kind of hashing these out. Some people will see more proof. Some people will see less proof. More or less isn't the right word. Some people see more proofs or less proofs here, but, but Arthur Pink kind of hashes them out and he, he shows these ways that, that Jesus is saying, here, here's how you can know I'm, uh, I'm equal with God, that I'm the son of God. In verses 16 through 18, in his service. In verse 19, in his will. Verse 20 points to his intelligence. Verse 21, to his sovereign rights. Verses 22 through 23, his imparting of life. Sorry, his divine honors. In 24 through 26, his imparting of life. And in verses 27 through 30, his judicial power and authority. I mean, he makes giant claims. Life comes from me. I have ultimate authority to judge. I'm sovereign. I mean, he, he talks about his intelligence being on par with God. It's hard to ignore a claim of deity Or even a claim to be on the same level as God. It's even harder to ignore that claim when a person follows it up by saying, let me tell you all the reasons that I deserve to be called the son of God. All the reasons that I am claiming to be equal with God. Let me tell you about those. Because my service is like God's service. And my will is like God's will. And I can impart to you life. And I have final judgment and authority over people. That cannot be ignored. And by the way, in the midst of all this, Jesus says this life-changing thing that for me is the reason that it's a big deal that you don't just ignore Jesus. He says, very truly I tell you in verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death To life. The reason that it's a big deal to me that people don't ignore Jesus, that we don't, that we don't water down Jesus so much that people can just go right on with their lives, never even having to make a decision about him, is because the Bible and Jesus himself say that all people have a decision to make. They can go on their merry way in their sin, and they will be judged Or they can believe in Jesus and cross over from death to life. From death to life. All that's at stake when it comes to Jesus. And a decision about him is our eternities. And not only our eternities, but the satisfaction of our souls in the here and now. Because as I've said before, eternal life in John is not about something we get someday. It's about something we enter into now that will last into the great someday. It is about moving From being in Adam, being in sin, to being in Christ. And in Christ, we have forgiveness of sin. We have hope. We have joy. We have family. We have a connection to God. Our prayers can be heard and responded to. We can always know that God is working everything that we face unto our good. Eternal life is at stake. I mentioned all those things you know, at the beginning that, that, that I look around and they're just plaguing our world. There's a hopelessness. There's violence on the rise. People are turning to drugs all the time and they fear death so much. And in Jesus, I think we find so much that can help us overcome those things. We find hope. We find hope. When I look at everything around me, it feels hopeless. But when I can turn my eyes into Jesus, those things just seem less important. I understand why people want to just make it all disappear. And they, they find themselves getting drunk every night or turning to other drugs. Because, why? Because it just masks this struggle that is life. And here is Jesus saying, if you believe in me, you can have a new life. And it won't make your problems go away. But in the midst of all of your problems, you can find the peace and the joy and the hope that you long for. Now, it's not perfect, this side of eternity, but it will be someday. It will be someday. I think that that you need to pay attention to the signs and speeches of Jesus and how they produce spite in part because it will turn your eyes to Jesus and you'll be forced to say, is what he says real or not? And I don't know, maybe you'll decide it's not. I think there's great reason to believe there is. In fact, Jesus says some reasons in just a second. But apart from belief in Jesus, it's hopeless. But with him, we cross from death to life, from death to life. And what follows is Jesus offering proof. He says, here's a bunch of ways that I'm equal to God. And let me tell you why you can believe that. I love this, it's just a sermon breakdown, it's a really easy breakdown for me, this chapter right here of scripture, because because it's how I'd want to teach it to you, right? Hey, don't ignore Jesus, Jesus ticked people off. Why did he tick people off? Well, he didn't fit into our cultural norms, and he claimed to be equal with God. Well, what did he do that was equal to God? Well, here's a bunch of things. Well, what kind of proof is there of that? And here's, here's what Jesus says. Verses 32 through 37, there's another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy this light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me and the Father has sent me has himself testified concerning me. He gives us three big things that point to his claim of equality with God to be true. He says first that the Father testifies to him. Now this is true in a variety of ways. One is that it's baptism. Uh, One is in scripture. We'll come back to that in a moment. But one is in that he used Jesus while on earth to do so many of the works that Jesus also mentions here. For the people at the time, I mean, some of them could have, could have pointed back to the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. And said, yeah, I did hear that voice come from heaven that said, this is my son. That's pretty good evidence. He points to John the Baptist John the Baptist is this guy who who people believed. These Jewish people believed that John the Baptist was a prophet that he was been sent by God, that the words he spoke were true. And remember at the beginning of John, we read he looks at Jesus and says, "This is the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world." And not only that, he says, "I'm not worthy to untie this man's sandals." So Jesus looks at this one source that a lot of them believed and says, "Well, that's proof." And then he points to his own works. I mean, he says that the uh, and uh, there's this uh, this man who said this. I love this about Jesus' works. They were really great. They were very public. Uh, they were of good character, and they were super examinable to the people around. Right? Like, like you could say that guy couldn't walk, and now he can walk. It's pretty good proof. Now listen the thing the struggle here for us right is that we didn't live during the time of Jesus and that makes these things more difficult to believe now I would say I would say that I believe them because this man that we call John is writing them down for us and he hung out with Jesus this is an eyewitness testimony and often we believe eyewitness testimony that's a pretty good source of information But the thing that Jesus says last is the thing that all of us can examine for ourselves. He says in verses 39 through 40, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says scripture points to me being the son of God of God. The Jewish people believed as it says here that the scriptures could provide the eternal life that we all want and Jesus says no they can't but they do point to the one who can. The New Living Translation says it this way, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. This one this one applies to us so easily today. We can search the scriptures and see if they really do point to Jesus. I mean, think about it. Think about it. If I told you that there was a document that, that had hundreds of things about my life, they, they described what I would do and how I would be, what I would say, And they were created hundreds and thousands of years before this moment. You would think that it was pretty good proof of something, right? You would think that that was pretty good evidence that the things I was saying about myself were true. And this is exactly what we have when it comes to the person of Jesus. The Old Testament, as we call it, described what Jesus would be like. It told us what Jesus would do. I love, one of the things I love in the book of Matthew is that the the, the book of Matthew begins the story of Jesus, and it talks about how Jesus is moving all around, and it points to these Old Testament passages that talk about how he'll be from Bethlehem and Nazareth and Galilee, and, and you think, if you were reading those hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus lived, like, there's no way that one person could be said to be from three different birthplaces and locations, like, and then Jesus did it. It's like, well, that to me is testimony. And if you believe these documents to be holy and inspired, and then they pointed specifically to a person they do, Jesus, then it becomes great evidence of the validity of his claims. He says, hey, you can trust God, you can trust John, You can trust these powerful works that I'm doing in front of you, but you can also turn to Scripture and see how they point to me. Because while they can't give you the eternal life that you so desperately want, they can offer proof that I am the Son of God who can give you the eternal life you long. Verses 45 through 47, he looks at these Jewish people who take their hope in Moses, and he says, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Man, I think this is so important. I mean, these people, they knew the scriptures, they knew the Old Testament so well, but they missed the point of it all. The point of it all was to point us to Jesus. And Jesus says, they are proof that I am the Son of God, that I can claim to be equal with God and be right. And because of that, if you'll believe that, if you'll believe in me, then you can have eternal life. I guess I would pose to all of you today that we should not ignore Jesus. I would say that to you even if you're a Christian, even if you're a person who believes in Jesus, I think that that sometimes we just don't think of him in the grand way that we should. We ourselves in our own hearts sometimes just ignore Jesus and we forget how how vastly countercultural and counter Intuitive at times and counter what everybody else believes Jesus' miracles and words truly were. And in this story, we see that that Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And I would remind you, Christian or not Christian, that Jesus, does, if, if your Jesus looks just like everybody else, then you're serving an incorrect Jesus. If your Jesus looks like, exactly like our culture, then you are not thinking about Jesus correctly. He is always going to be countercultural. In this story, he claims to be equal with God and he offers a bunch of proof. This cannot be ignored. I mean, equality with God is not something that you can just ignore. It, it compels you to either reject him or worship him, right? This is God who came to earth to save us. And you either look at that and you say, no way, or you look at that and you get on your knees and you worship him. And Jesus claims to be the source of eternal life. You cannot ignore this. You either embrace it as true, you come to believe in him, or you reject it and say, that Jesus guy was absolutely crazy. I lay that out before you and I just tell you, I just say to you, just don't ignore Jesus. Make that your New Year's resolution. I don't want to ignore Jesus Don't read scripture and and skip over the big parts because you've read them a million times and not think about how incredible they really are. The claims of Jesus, the works of Jesus, read them and be excited about them. And if you're not a Christian, just please consider, consider whether or not Jesus really is the son of God who came to save you who came to save us. Let me pray that those things will be true in you. Lord Jesus, I pray that that we would not be a church that ignores you, that we would not be a church that that teaches a watered-down version of you so that others can ignore you, Lord. I pray for those sitting in front of me and those watching online that maybe have just, I don't know, just liked the idea of you but never really considered whether or not that idea lines up with what we know from the Bible. And I pray that they would choose to read the book of John, read the other gospels, read the claims of the apostles in the New Testament, and they would really begin to examine, God, who, who Jesus is. And I pray that they would, God, choose, I pray that some would choose to make a decision to believe in you so that they may cross over from death to life. And I pray for those of us who are Christians. Let us, God, be amazed by you once again. Let us not fall into the trap of 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 reading stories that should should just blow us away and um, you know acting as though
0: they're they're just unimportant or unimpressive. Lord, I pray that we would be people, God. We would be a church that
1: that looks at you correctly, believes in you rightly, Lord, and worships you because of it. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.